compassion. He changed the whole thinking system of the world upside down with a new kingdom and a new culture. And then he took it upon himself, the blameless one, the innocent one, to become the guilt and the shame for the sin of our, of our lives. And he took upon him the death that we should have died. And he went and he fought and overcame death so that death's sting is removed. Three days later, he rose from the tomb to be exalted, to be risen king, to prove all the prophecies of years and years and years. And he spent a little bit more time with us on earth and he gave us a commission and he reminded us of all the things that he taught and he promised us again that his spirit will come and dwell upon us and his spirit will dwell in us. And then he ascended back to the Father and he's preparing a place for us with the Father. Rooms, homes, place that we can be complete, that we can dwell. Where one day we will be in his presence completely satisfied, completely, perfectly in his will. And then there's gonna be a wedding day. I love the progression of this song. There's gonna be a wedding day, the most beautiful wedding. No eye has seen. There's gonna... There might be colors that we haven't seen. There might be songs that we've never heard. But there's going, to ex- there's going to be an experience that nothing on this earth, nothing could come close to. And this morning as we think about Jesus, may we raise our expectations. May we come back to that point where we say, Christ, our expectations in you and of you are so high. And every time we do that, he is so faithful that he fulfills those expectations. And then there's a wonder and a mystery that there's still more in him. How can we not but sing to this Jesus? He's not just a little boy in a crib in a manger. He is God Almighty. He is everything. In him, all things hold together. So we sing about his beauty. Let us sing about the whole story. Let us see the splendor of his fullness. I want to read to us Isaiah 9 this morning as a reminder. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. And they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For us and to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus, I pray this morning that we would be completely enamored and undone again by the beauty of Christ. 
the beauty of this message. Lord, we lift our eyes away from ourselves, away from our circumstances. Even though we might find ourselves in darkness, Lord, there's an ever-shining, endless light that's ever-bright. And the light has shown in our lives, and it's shown in our country, it's shown in our families, it's shown across the world. And it's you, our wonderful counselor, mighty Father, Prince of Peace. Lord, this morning I, pr I pray that as we study your word, that you stretch our vision again. And that we would gaze upon your beauty, as the song says. That we won't settle just for a simple version that is just comfortable enough to find a measure of peace, Lord, but that we would embrace the full measure of who you are this morning. And if you agree with this prayer this morning, just say amen. 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 You may take your seats. Um, can I ask the leaders to take up the offering? Um, if you've prepared an offering this morning, there's an opportunity to give. That'll take place now. And then I just want to quickly draw your attention to two quick announcements before I get into the word this morning. Is next week is our last Sunday gathering. Uh, we are going to gather as family, so the children are welcome. There won't be any children's uh, church, so bring them along. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter service as a family together. We also won't serve coffee afterwards, so you guys can come have a moment together to worship and hear the word and then go into your time of rest as a family together. And then, <coughs> excuse me, secondly, the church office closed this week on Thursday. If there's any urgent matters that you need any assistance with, you may contact the church telephone number and there'll be a cell phone number loaded on there that you can contact to get hold of one of the staff. Um, this morning I wanna continue on from where we started last week. We're doing a three-week message on Christmas. And we've, we thought it well to misspell the word Christmas as it is on the screen. And if you go with a little bit deeper investigation into the design, you'll see that the baby Jesus is not in the manger. And all these people are gathering around at the typical nativity play, but without Jesus in his rightful place. And the reason we chose this is that we wanna remind ourselves of this story and that it's very easy to have Christmas without Christ. It's very easy to go through the religious motion that this season brings, yet we don't walk with Jesus. And this morning I'm not gonna do the typical thing and preach from the Christmas story or the birth of Jesus. We're gonna be in Acts chapter three. So if you wanna read your Bibles, we're gonna read from there. And we're gonna look at a story a little bit unusual to, to what Christmas stories usually are about or Christmas sermons usually, usually are about, but I really believe that God has got an appointment with many of us today. I don't know about you, but somehow it works like that, that for most of us, hopefully, that Christmas creates a bit of a fuzzy feeling, right? Anyone wanna agree with that? There's just something about that kind of warmth and the enjoyment of what's ahead, all the plants, all the food, all the things that we get ready so that we can celebrate this moment together. But the real wonder of Christmas is in Jesus. And I don't know about you, but the thing that takes away my fuzzy feeling the quickest is when I have to think about gifts and spending money, or AKA Somerset Mall. <laughs> you wouldn't find me in Somerset Mall in a usual week or weekend. I just, I don't like it. It's just, I don't go there. It's great if you do, happy for you. 
But now over Christmas, you're kind of forced by culture and the environment that we're in to, to pay your visit to the mall and buy things and get stuff and, and pay your dues because that's kind of what culture expects of us, right? But I want to encourage you this morning, and I've titled my message, Give What You Have. I want this to sink in. Give what you have. So many of us scurry around, and the warm, fuzzy feeling gets lost with fear and anxiety, and Ricky spoke about that a couple of weeks ago, because we're trying to give what we don't have, and we're trying to make up for lost relationships or brokenness, or we haven't seen the family for the years, so now we've got to really pull out all the stops. And I believe this morning the word is going to liberate us in a way that in the end, all the stuff that we can give grows dim in the light of his glory and his face. And that the beauty of Jesus is the best gift that you can truly give. And we have to change our mind and our hearts around this because we say this and we believe this and we might have our moment before or after the meal that we have a quick prayer and a quick reminder and the kids recite the nativity play, but are we deeply infatuated with Jesus in a way that this is all that it's about? Forget the stuff, we just want Christ. We just want Jesus. I believe this morning, the story that we're gonna read together is gonna encourage us. This morning we're gonna see three Interesting things about the environment that the story plays off in. I'm gonna bring that to your attention. Three things about the environment, and then we're gonna see three godly, Christ-centered responses in that environment. And then this morning, there's an opportunity for you to respond personally, and also for you to think about how you're gonna take this message to your family and to your world. So I'm excited for this. I believe God's gonna meet people today. During pre-service prayer, the one thing that's come out is God wants to tune our hearts to, a, uh, to hearing Him today for what He has in mind. And the one thing is, if you believe and have faith, God wants to meet you today where you are at. And then we'll go out with that gift to the world. So let's read together Acts chapter 3, only 10 verses, and it's the story of the lame beggar healed. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognize him as the man at, sat, sitting at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Lord, I pray that you would anoint the preaching of your word this morning in a way that it brings life and that it illuminates to us 
your will and purposes for our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Three thoughts from this environment that this story plays off. Isn't it an amazing story? When you read it with intent and you look at all those words, because I believe nothing in the Bible is there by chance. It's very intentional. And I'm gonna, we're gonna go deep into this passage this morning and look at interesting words to show us the intention of the story. But the stage is set. It speaks about the lame beggar at the beautiful gate. I wanna ask you a question. Why was it called the beautiful gate? All the theologians in the house. Anyone wanna try? Because it was beautiful. <laughs> Simple. It's amazing how we, we wanna try and complicate things, eh? There's gotta be a good reason for this. <laughs> it was a beautiful environment that this lame beggar found himself in. And then I think about Summers of West, and I think this is probably the, the beautiful gate to South Africa. <laughs> we are surrounded by incredible beauty in the Western Cape. But you know what? Although you were surrounded by beauty, you were still broken. And this is where the story starts. A broken man surrounded by beauty. And to Jesus, it wasn't enough that Jesus, he just had beauty around him. He wanted to get him from his brokenness to wholeness. He wanted to remove him from sitting in amidst all this amazing beauty and splendor and focus on the individual's non-beauty inside and get him to a place where he's beautiful in his soul and beautiful in his body and strengthened by the love of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And I thought around Christmas, isn't that how often we find ourselves? This guy was carried every single day, picked up and carried and placed at the most beautiful part of the temple in the city, yet he was still broken. How many of us might go into this Christmas season or into our Christmas lunch, carrying our broken families to the table, sitting them down, thinking this is enough? Or will we bring them to a place where they can meet Jesus and their brokenness is turned into wholeness? Or are we just happy with that uncle or that aunt or that dad or that child who's just in a place of brokenness? You see, it brings me to my second point. He was there at the hour of prayer. And the culture in that moment and time and space was that the Jewish people were still waiting for a Messiah. And Jesus had come but so many has rejected him. But they were traditional in their prayers. They were traditional in their going to the temple to pray. It was culture. The ninth hour, they'll get together and they'll pray. And my second observation around the environment is that he was surrounded by religion, yet void of restoration. Every single day, people walked past him religiously, probably greeted him, those who were kind enough to go pick him up at his house, would bring him along and plomp him down and say, okay, I'm gonna go pray, cheers. Good luck with your begging today. And even in the light of, of the Christmas story, yes, we could so easily do that. We could be religious. We could light the candles, we could do Advent, we can give the gifts, we can have a moment of prayer, yet we're not into restoration. We're not into checking our own hearts and lives and saying, Jesus, Am I sitting in brokenness? Am I whole before you? Am I just being religious? Or are you willing to come and meet me and restore in me the joy of my salvation? I was thinking about it again this morning. The joy of our salvation. Is that something that just bubbles up every single day? 
thank you, God, that I'm set free, that you are the innocent one who's hung on a cross for me, and I'm joyful because of that. Is that still enough reason for you to celebrate and rejoice in him every single day? Or is it just that we've become religious, like these people who've gone to pray, yet they weren't into the business of Jesus? All the eyes of the people were fixated on this beggar every day. If they go through that gate into the temple, they saw him. And you know what? He probably looked at all those people with a hope and an expectation that one day his life might change. Your family members, the people around you might just be looking at you for that moment that you stop and you don't just give them religion, but you give them an opportunity to meet their savior and be restored to a rightful place. And Liliana said it so beautifully this morning and what Mark preached last week, that he is God with us. He's wanting to dwell in us. He wants us to be a whole and complete temple where he can come and meet us. I think thinking a little bit deeper, it said in the scripture that Peter and John said, hey, look at us. He was probably looking down in other words, right? Probably sitting there in his brokenness and hoping that he would get enough bread to get through the day. And these two men stopped everything. Prayer's about to start, but there's an opportunity to introduce someone to Jesus. So we're gonna take a moment. And they say, look at us. And then it says, he looked at them with an expectation to get something from them. I'm, I'm convinced that the beggar didn't look up and, th and think he would get what he was getting on this specific day. He was probably thinking, piece of bread, a coin, piece of fish, something to drink, and I'll be happy with that. And it made me think about the religious environment that we often find ourselves in. It lowers our expectation. There's a lower expectation, like, Lord, if I could just have a piece of bread, a little bit of something to drink, a piece of fish, a coin, I'm happy. And here in walks Peter and John, who represent, represents Jesus and his kingdom, and they raise the bar. They said, you want this, but we're coming with this. And what would it look like in our lives when the people around us just want a little something from our family? We say, you know what, we're gonna give you a whole lot more because Jesus is in us and he's beautiful and we're gonna come and help you being restored to the relationship that he has for you. And personally, some of you have been finding yourselves in a place where your expectation is just here. You're just happy with the little bit, with the religious environment. You're happy to come here, maybe join a life group, once a year go to a prayer meeting and it's enough. And I believe this morning God is saying, I wanna raise the expectation that you have of me because when I come into your life, I come with my kingdom and my fullness and I change things around dramatically. What's amazing about this story is that he didn't become lame later on. It was a permanent situation. He was born unable to walk. And some of you have been sitting and saying, God, you know what, there's permanent things in my life. I've given up on it. Why would it change? Would it even? We don't even wanna look up anymore and expect our God to come through for us. And I, this morning I believe some of you, and I'm saying this by faith and I'm preaching this prophetically, God wants to change permanent situations around. And you've been becoming hard and you've been been, been coming like a, a piece of clay 
that the sun is baked over. And by his living waters this morning, he's gonna bring a softening and he's gonna work in you and he's gonna change those permanent situations that you've already given up on. He's gonna raise your expectations and say, today is a new day. I wanna come and meet you where you are at. Do you have faith for that? If we would believe that he can, he, he, he will. That's the beauty of this Christmas story. That's why it took us through the progression. If it simply terminates on, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. We're missing out on the full story. If it simply terminates in a nativity set on a table, we're missing out on the full story. Jesus is here this morning and he wants to raise our expectations of what he can do for us. And I believe even there's some of you, permanent words of sickness because of your history and family history. I believe this morning God wants to heal us. And if you know me for a little bit longer, it's not like I do this every week. But this morning I had a conviction when I prayed for you. I'm like, this morning God is saying, I'm raising the expectation. So look up and move away from your religion so that I can come and restore you. The third thing about the environment that he was surrounded by charity without true compassion. He would get something every day. The people would carry him. There were pieces of bread. There were alms given. But it was a little flick of a coin maybe. It wasn't true compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. And how beautiful that Jesus, when he saw us, he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. He was willing to say, I'm gonna suffer with the pain and the brokenness that you find yourself in. And here comes Peter and John, and they're like, an alm isn't enough. It's not a charity case. Maybe some of us treat our Christmas like that. It's just, just give the gift, get it over and done with. A little bit of life, a little bit of joy. You see the two stories I'm preaching. God wants to do something in us, but it's also about how we do it unto others. We're just happy with a bit of a, a charity moment. It's a time to give, so let's give a little bit more than what we usually do. Peter and John wasn't into just giving a little more. They were moved with compassion because they were disciples of Christ and he formed them and he shaped them and the Holy Spirit were dwelling in them and they saw this man. And I can imagine for a moment that they were probably undone with emotion and pain for this guy. And, and they look about all these people just bumping them out of the way because they've got to get to prayer and they're like, just take a minute. This is a real human being in real pain. Can we just take a moment and, and minister Jesus to him? You see, often we find ourselves between these things. I grew up in a very charitable home. This is one of the greatest values my parents ever taught us, is uh, generosity. It's to give whenever there was an opportunity. And through that, we had to learn the tension between, and I think I shared this story once before, between just charity and true compassion. My dad used to work in an environment where the people working for him had to work on Christmas Day because of, he was in security at that point of his life. And he would take his Christmas morning when we as a family just wanted to do Christmassy things. And he would drive and go and visit. He would do a 150, 200 kilometer drive and visit about 10 sites and take a parcel and some food and share the Christmas story with all those people, all by himself. And then he would say, any one of the kids wanna go with me? Who would wanna sit in a car and drive 200 kilometers on Christmas morning? 
You just want to enjoy the gifts that you received the night before. But it's a value that they taught us. Like It's not about charity. It's about walking the extra mile, suffering with those who are in suffering and giving to them. What does it look like in your family this week, over the next few weeks? I know some of you are trusting God for breakthrough in family members. There's, there's, there's massive, massive hurt and brokenness. If we are moved with compassion like Jesus were, we can step into this situation. It's not just a charity case. Okay, we've ticked the box. Then we have taken Jesus to the people. So three environments, surrounded by beauty, yet broken. Surrounded by religion, yet without restoration. Surrounded by charity, without true compassion. And then there were three responses from Peter and John. This is amazing when you read it. Three things that they did. The first thing it says, Peter directed his gaze at him as the John. It wasn't that he just quickly looked his way and like, okay, I've seen it and I'm moving on. The word gaze means that you intently look with intent. You want to see it. You want to experience it. You want to understand what is happening. It was like a stare. I'm one of those people that stare and every now and again, Alika's just like, Papa, is it on? I'm like, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm gone. They were staring at this man. And we, as followers of Christ, have an opportunity this week to direct our gaze to the brokenness around us. To take a moment and look with intent, even to our spouses, to our own children, and just look a little bit and say, Lord, is there anything that you want me to give which I have because of you? Every spiritual blessing locked up in Jesus Christ is ours when we become his and we are his followers. Is there anything that you want me to give? And we look with intent, with the desire to give. The temptation is always to look away, to see that. Oh, here comes the family member carried in again with the brokenness, plumped down at the table, Everyone's like, if we can just get through this lunch, it'll be a happy Christmas once. You guys laughing because it's true, eh? Right? I remember the one here. My, it's, it's interesting how you think about family during Christmas. My mom, it was my third year of um, ministry school. Eliana and I were married, got married in our third year. And we went home for Christmas to my parents' house. And my grandfather and grandmom was there and I think a couple of other family members, I can't remember. And my mom was almost always very intentional over Christmas to make sure that we reminded what it's really about. So it'll always be a symbolic moment. It'll always be like, what are you thankful for this year? You know, those things that teenagers go like, oh, mom, not again, those kind of vibes. But this specific day, she looked at me and she said, you know what, Pia, would you mind to pray over everyone? I'm 21 years old, just got married. I just want to have Christmas, right? Eat some food. And, but there was an opportunity, and she literally sat the whole family down in a circle, and I had to go and walk and stand with everyone and pray with them. And I'll never forget what happened when I stood with my granddad. He was a believer, but one of those private, like, doesn't speak about it. But we know he was saved, and it's an amazing story and testimony of how in his last few hours, God met him in an amazing way. And everything that he stood for that was anti-God was restored in a few hours. And then God took him. But I stood in front of him like, this is the weirdest thing. 
I've never prayed for my opa. It's like, this is awkward. <laughs> and then I just, okay, God, I am here. I'm gonna look at him and I wanna hear what you have to say for him and over him. And I just stood there and I'm like, Danke, Jesus, for opa. Was his leaf form? And I'm trying to find the words. And the next moment I felt the spirit of God hit me with a prophetic word for him. And I prayed it and he was sitting there just weeping. I've never seen him cry ever under the power of God. And all it is, is to direct our gaze to others and take a moment. Then we move away from religion and we into restoration. Then we move away from a charity moment that we are truly compassionate over people. And I wanna say this again, some of you this morning are in need of that. And I believe this morning you're gonna feel how Jesus is gonna direct his gaze at your heart and at your circumstance and he's gonna set you free. The second thing that I like about their response, liberating for everyone who has to swipe the card. You don't have to, don't give out of debt. A side note. They said, silver and gold we don't have. Hallelujah. Family, we don't have to give. But what we do have, we will give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up. What would it look like if that is the only gift that we fully and wholeheartedly give this season? Walking into our environments and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up out of your circumstances, rise up out of your pain, rise up out of what you are faced, facing this year, rise up out of your anxiety, your depression, because Jesus is here and his power is in us and we have the ability to say, rise up in his name. It will be the most memorable Christmas season ever much more memorable than that expensive gift that you got a couple of years ago. I love how God has led us this year in turning the focus of ourselves and more into those around us through the gift of evangelism and being intentional to reach just one. What would it look like if each one of us say, we wanna reach just one over this Christmas season where we say, rise up in the name of Jesus. We are undone and we are tired of you just sitting there in your brokenness. It's time now for us to come and say in Jesus' name, rise up. Some of us are still sitting there ourselves, even after so many things that God has done. And this morning to you, Jesus is saying, rise up. Step out of it. Come out of it because I have died on the cross and I've overcome every fear, every temptation, every sickness, every sin. And I want you to rise up out of your circumstances. They didn't just settle with this. Freely you've received, freely give. You freely received the words of Jesus saying to you, rise up, now freely go and give that to others. And then the third response, and probably my favorite out of all of these, says, and he, speaking about Peter, took him by the right hand and raised him up. He went even further. He actually touched this possible untouchable guy sitting in his filth with the love of Jesus and the compassion of the Father. And he reached out and he touched him. He said, come, I'm bending down and I'm gonna stand up with you. Are we willing to bend down to the place where others are and say, I'm gonna rise up with you? Not just stand afar off and say it in the name of Jesus, but then we step into their circumstances and say, I'm ready to meet you there where you are still broken and I'm gonna touch you and pull you up. It's in that moment that this guy experienced 
the true touch of the Father physically when the human reached out with the love. When I was four years old, we went to Umschloti for a, a, a family holiday. And it was one of those, you know, four-year-old boy, adventurous spirit, um, everything your parents say you should do, you don't, and everything you shouldn't do, you do. So we were out on the beach first day, so Vali, so just like we see at the scene, that excitement of coming over the, the reach at Peter Maritzburg, and like, ah, I've seen you see you guys know that experience, all the Vali's in the house, and you just, that's the ocean, and so we checked in, and the next morning, we're like, okay, it's time for the beach, so we, down to the beach we go, and my dad sets up the stuff, and there's a little bit of water, but there's a massive, massive wave, just one of those big surfer waves. And he says, guys, don't go near the water. So why does a four-year-old adventurous boy here go closer to the water? So I walk closer to the water. And my dad, for a moment, took his eye off me because he was getting ready to camp so that mom can come and just relax the way she wants to on the beach. And um, the next moment, one of those waves came and it, it, it knocked me over. And I, I'll never forget, till today, I can imagine that feeling of being drawn in with that force. But it turned me around and I was facing to the beach. And I could see the terror in my parents' eyes and I could feel the terror inside. And I literally thought, this is it, I'm dying. Because the power was so overwhelming. And first wave, and I just saw sucked in second wave, deeper, third wave. And then by that time, I was just salt water everywhere, eyes are closed. And I thought, this is it, done, over and done with. And then the next moment, I felt a hand reach through the water and just, just ripped me out of it. It's like a pull. And it was my dad, and he pulled me in, and he held me close, and he walked me to the beach. And he said, are you okay? I said, yes. And then, he told me exactly what I did wrong. And then he left me again. See, the Bible says that the arm of the Lord is not too short that it cannot save. And Peter and John knew this. And they went with the arm of the Lord and they pulled that person out of his mire and they saved him and set him up for restoration. Do we believe this still? Do we believe that the arm of God is ready to save us? Or have we given up? Do we believe that we are the conduit the vehicle through which Jesus shares his love and that the arm of God through us can go into people's circumstances and save them out of it. Whether they are overcome by the ocean, by the tumbling of this life, and we can step in and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna touch you and I'm gonna pull you out. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that change our perspective of what our Christmas can look like this year? And then the beautiful part of the story that I like in the end. It's funny how humans are. All those people that saw him every day, like, oh, he's walking. Goodness. And I think maybe if some of you paid attention to the words of Jesus and started following him, maybe there were some believers, but they were so used to just going to prayer, took the moment to stop. You could have been part of that miracle. But it said that they were all filled with wonder and amazement. If we go with this message and give what we have, which is the power of Jesus Christ, and the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit lives in us. If we go with this, 
into this season, the people around us will be filled with wonder and amazement and the end result will be God will be glorified and there's more worship unto him.